Well, Lord, we've come before you humbly. Um, we have the melodies of these songs perhaps reverberating in our minds and our hearts, Lord, which move us towards a posture of anticipation and expectation. But I pray by the Holy Spirit, you would cement that in our hearts, that we would be seeking in this moment, seeking to hear and to receive, because we do believe that you have good things for us, that you are at work in this world, even when we encounter silence and we encounter circumstances that are frustrating, that you are present with us, all of us, each one of us, in all of our stories. And so, Lord, I ask that, Lord, you would speak and shed light into how you and your love would enter into our lives and shape us and form us and send us out. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. So as many of you know, we've been on a story and journey through Ruth. Ruth in connection with Christmas time. I wonder if some of you thought that made sense when we started doing that or not. But in my bias, because I chose it, I think it makes a wonderful sense with Advent. And part of that is not just because we actually end up to focusing on this one town of Bethlehem, but Ruth in a lot of ways is a parable about God's action in coming to us. What God does in the midst of silence, when we don't see him moving and acting, and we look to the birth of Christ in Advent and Christmas, there's a lot of things taking place that God maybe doesn't do by name, and yet it happens that way. It's also important to look at Ruth and realize that this is the time of Judges. And what does that mean when I say the time of Judges? You go back to the book before Ruth. It is a book where there are so many tragedies happening in the people of God because they're trying to do life apart from God. It says it in Judges. There was no king in the land. And what that means is there was complete anarchy. It was chaos and injustice. What it means just so happens meant in the time of Judges is it meant that the vulnerable were taken advantage of. In the time of Judges, it meant women were cast out. In the time of Judges, it meant the hungry stayed hungry. The dishonored remained shamed. And so we look at this story. I like to say that because it helps kind of bring up the stakes a bit, if that makes sense. This is not an easy story for anyone to walk through. If this was someone in your family or it was you going through this, this would be horrifying. What's happening in the story has stakes, What we learn in the first two chapters, which we've been reflecting on week after week, is that Naomi and her family left Bethlehem, and her husband dies. She has a daughter, she has a son who marries Ruth, and Ruth's husband, Naomi's daughter, Naomi's son, dies. They're two widows in a foreign land, and they have no options but to go back to Israel. They are barren and empty, and you might even say hopeless, except they go back with some hope and faith that God will bring a different story to their lives, that God will bring change. They don't know how, they don't know where, and they probably don't even, (laughs) they're not even sure how God's going to do it, to be honest. But they're left alone. And what we learn in chapter two is that Ruth meets Boaz just because the only thing she can do to provide for her older mother-in-law is by working in the fields, the hard work that really men more often than not did. So she finds herself gleaning on the fields based on the hospitality of the people of Israel. And Boaz sees her and he knows her story and he blesses her. 
And Boaz provides for her and protects for her, provides protection for her through her, his workers. So we already see some possibility taking shape, but we don't know what's going to happen yet. We don't know what's going to happen yet is part of the tension because chapter 3 is the pivot point. Is this the story we think this could be or is everything going to come apart? Is this the story it could be or is everything going to come apart? All these unpredictable things are starting to happen. And as I look at this story, I see our story in this too because no one's story is fully written. You can go through circumstance after circumstance, challenge after challenge, and you don't quite know what is going to happen yet in your life. How will you respond to the next challenge, or how will you overcome the thing you're dealing with right now? A lot of times when I used to be a hospital chaplain, um, you would get two major responses to when someone receives really difficult news. Whether they would say it or not, they might say something like, why me? Why is this happening? That's a pretty common one. And then the other one, sometimes, not as often, but I would hear is someone would look at me and say, why not me? Why wouldn't this happen to me, just like it would happen to anyone else? Now, I'm not going to say anything about, because I don't think either one of those responses are wrong. You can't help but respond the way you're going to respond when you receive that kind of news. But what they both have in common is why. We ask why when the story seemed unhinged, when they go off the rails. Why is this happening? What, what is taking place in my life? Why, as I would invite you to think, why is roof three, roof three, on the threshing floor in the dark of night with some weird undertones that are hard to understand? Why is roof three happening the way it's happening? Couldn't it have happened a simpler way? Couldn't it have happened an easier way? Is there another way, God, that you could have arranged this to be a smoother, great story? And yet, here we are in the darkest of night, when something happening that feels secretive. But you might also ask yourself the same questions. Why have the events in your life happened the way they've happened this past year? Why have they happened the way they've happened? And what is God inviting you to learn and practice through this season? How can you get the most out of learning what God is doing? So with that, I'm going to launch into the chapter, but I want us to set this up. I want us to know where we are and asking those questions. Why is this happening the way it's happening? What does God want us to learn through it? So verse one, you immediately see Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, who is the initial driver of all the action happening in this chapter. She has been silent at some times in the book of Ruth, but she's very vocal here, and she gives Ruth a lot of instructions she immediately tells Ruth that, no, I want to find a home for you. A home there in the NIV is also coming from the word rest. I want to find rest for you, that things will be good for you. And Boaz is someone who can provide that because he is part of our family, a kinsman redeemer. Now, what this means in the Israelite tradition is that kinsman redeemer is a family member close to you that can redeem your line when the unexpected and horrible happens. When a woman is widowed, someone close to that person's family can redeem that person's line. And this is not just for Ruth. It's actually for Naomi too, because without something happening through Ruth's life and marriage and her producing a child, Naomi will not have redemption. There is no hope for Naomi unless some sort of unique, miraculous thing happens. And so the kinsman redeemer laws, you can look in Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 25. I won't go there right now. <laughs> but they point us and direct us to the point 
that God is calling us to be loving and kind to one another, a community that's loving and kind to itself that provides when the unexpected happens, to not leave people in destitution and in being impoverished and barren and empty, that God does not want to leave anyone in that place, which is why a law like this exists. So Ruth 3, we see that Ruth is not just instructed to go to Boaz in the middle of the night while he's somehow Naomi knows that he's going to be winnowing barley at the end of harvest. But she instructs, Naomi instructs Ruth to go and to basically prepare herself to be a bride. That's what it kind of sounds like, to be a bride. Prepare yourself, wash yourself, anoint yourself to be a bride. Present yourself as such. They're seeking rest in the land, and part of this, honestly, is to force the question, will you redeem our family? You know our story. You know the horrible things that have happened to Naomi and myself, Ruth. Will you redeem our story? This, this whole account has some, some sexual undertones that you can't deny. This whole going in the middle of the night, everything is dark. It's not well lit. Naomi makes a really big point of saying, make sure you identify who Boaz is so you don't try to do this to the wrong person. Because <laughs> you know, that, that would not go well. And, you know, why is it written this way? That's why I ask those questions, why? It's a really great way to read Scripture. Why is this written the way it is? What am I supposed to receive out of it? So why one, I actually think it's written the way it is to keep our attention. Were you paying attention when it was reading or whenever you're watching a show thinking, oh my goodness, what's happening here? Should I change the channel or something like that? You know, like it's this written with this idea, grab our attention. What is happening? But the second thing that's perhaps more important is this. Ruth and Boaz have been presented to us as exemplary people. They are moral. They are wise. They are patient. They're generous. Will they again live according to God's ideal love? God's love that Wendy mentioned last week is chesed. His covenantal steadfast love. Will they continue to arrange their lives around that? Because that's put to the test here. And so Ruth goes immediately and does what Naomi's asked. She goes to this, you know, goes and travels. Sounds kind of creepy. She like tries to identify where Boaz is and then the dark and waits till he falls asleep. Like that can come across strange. It probably should come across a little strange. But she's waiting and waiting. And we learn that Boaz has had food to drink. He has food to eat. He's had some drinks. So he's in a good mood. And there is Ruth waiting. And she does what Naomi instructed her. Reading in verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. It begins in the middle of the night, all this taking place. I imagine in my mind that just down the way, you can hear the shouts and songs of, of Boaz's workers, perhaps just drinking and having a good night down the way, or the reason a owner of this kind of enterprise would be close to the wheat is because thieves would come and steal the barley. These would come and steal. You had to protect it. So one, you have people who are probably drunk around, and they also have thieves around. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that this is a dangerous place. This is not a place a woman alone would want to be caught. And yet she vulnerably lays herself before Boaz. And it's, there's all kinds of reflection and speculation of what's going on with this proposal, why it happens. But what we do know is it definitely startles Boaz. <laughs> He's woken up in the middle of the night. We don't know why. His feet are uncovered. Perhaps it's because by uncovering his feet, then he becomes really cold. And it wakes himself up in this specific situation that Ruth and Naomi have taken initiative to create. Wherein 
Boaz is awake and has a one-on-one chance to talk with Ruth. Because whenever they were in the fields, there was lots of people around. And it wouldn't push the question further. Because Ruth honestly doesn't know how Boaz is going to respond. She doesn't know. She's known about their story. She knows that he knows that this redemption line and law exists. And yet at the same time, he hasn't done anything about it. Why has Boaz not acted on it? Why has not anyone acted on it for that matter? It's just been this elephant in the room and no one's doing anything about it. So a lot of this is to force the question. And at this point, this is what Ruth says, because Boaz wakes up and says, whoa, who are you? Who are you? This is verse nine. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Notice how she just identifies herself, your servant Ruth. When the first meeting happened um, with Boaz and Ruth, she, she almost really identifies herself as a Moabitess because she's not from Israel. She's a foreigner. And so she, she really, like, she's not, she's personalizing and saying, I am, I, and the fact that she says her name too, it's the dark. She probably could have not said her name. <laughs> Instead, she says, I am Ruth. You know who I am. And at this situation, it probably would be up to Boaz to give the instruction of what's supposed to happen. And in fact, that's actually what Naomi told Ruth to do. Wait for Boaz to say what we'll do next. But Ruth takes her own initiative. She says what Naomi didn't tell her to say, and it is this, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of family. The corner of your garment, it immediately references a bunch of things in the Old Testament, which is difficult to explain quickly. But it references, especially with Ruth preparing to be a bride, something in Ezekiel 16. Because Ezekiel 16, God uses the language over God's people. God uses this language of preparing, caring for someone, and providing and extending his garment, which is also the same word as wing. So if you think of all the scripture references you might have in your mind, garment or wing, about the same thing. They're actually the same Hebrew word. So the context helps you know that. But in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 16, um, this is what God is saying over his people. Later I passed by, and this is him relating to God's people. And when I looked at you and saw that you are, were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, because you became mine. It speaks to God's provision, this idea of spreading wings over Israel, God's people, is him providing for them. As Psalm 91 says, the Lord provides a covering and shelter in his refuge. Or as Psalm 16 says, God's people are hidden in the shadow of God's wings. So in other words, what Ruth is saying here, as strange as it might sound to all of us, because it sounds strange, it's okay for it to sound strange. What he is saying, you know, Ruth is saying to Boaz, you know our situation, you know our hardship, We are connected as a family. You're a possible redeemer for us. Act as God's agent. Protect us. Restore our story because you have the ability to do so. She forces the question. And then she has to wait for the response. And Boaz and his response is gracious. He's gracious in his response. He responds with a word of blessing if you keep reading. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. 
So why, why is this kindness greater? That's one of the questions I'd ask. Why is this kindness greater? You've thought about that. Why? You know, it doesn't exactly explain. It just says, Boaz says, the kind, this kindness you're doing, Ruth, is greater. Why is that? Because Ruth could have sought after younger men. Even though she was a foreigner, she had other options. She could have sought after someone else that could provide for herself. Just like she could have stayed in Moab where things might have been easier. This is harder what she and Naomi are doing. But Ruth, and this is important, Ruth is not trying to secure for herself a good life. Ruth is not trying to secure for herself a good life. She is trying to secure for a good, a good life for Naomi. She's trying to provide redemption for Naomi. Sometimes this book gets so focused in on the Ruth Boaz eventual marriage, spoilers. But it is so focused on the redemption of Naomi, who was pleasant, turned bitter, Mara. Her story being redeemed in the book of, of Ruth, but it's about Naomi. And it's not necessarily about love for Boaz, but love for Naomi. And it's this emphasis of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. Because only through this redemption law provision it can Naomi find redemption. It's the only way. She can't have children herself. She can't remarry. Only through having some family line, a redeemer redeeming her line, and a child being provided through that. In the Israelite tradition, which I know we're disconnected from, but only through that process can Naomi find hope. Only through that process can she find restoration. So the goal of the book is not just about Ruth's marriage. It's really about Naomi. And so Ruth is not seeking a good life. That is the greater kindness. That's what we already see that even though, I guess maybe Boaz is a little buzzed, but he, he, he immediately knows what's happening. He's not just lost his faculties. He actually knows what's happening. He knows he's a redeemer, and we learn why. Because plot twist, he immediately says, one, I will be willing to do this, but there is someone else closer in line. There is another redeemer who has the right to redeem your story, to redeem your family, and that it's not my right to take that from, from that person. But if this person will not do it, I will, is where, what Boaz says. And so what we learn in this chapter is that Boaz is going to ensure this story has the next chapter. It has the next outcome. Perhaps an answer to the prayer that Ruth and Naomi are asking, that it will move forward. Chapter 1 the emptiness and barrenness. Chapter two, working in the waiting. And chapter three, that love will find a way to redeem. So it makes you, I want to ask these reflection questions. And it's a neat detail to see that Naomi, who is empty at the beginning of chapter, at the end of chapter one, completely empty, Ruth comes home with even more food. There is this theme of Ruth always coming in with more than she could possibly even carry and providing for the empty Naomi, it's intended for us to see that not only is God providing food for Naomi and Ruth, but there is hope of a different outcome in their story. But one of the, the title I chose for this message, I don't know if you saw it running up here or anything like this, is while we wait, this is the theme for Advent we have, but while we wait, endure through love. While we wait, endure through love. And I want to unpack what I mean by that as kind of a reflection of this whole, this whole chapter. What do we mean endure through love? 
Well, it's pointing to the fact that God's love is the backdrop of this story. That God's covenant chesed love, that's the Hebrew. It's his, the love, the way he relates to his people is the backdrop of this story, and it is the backdrop of your story. Even when we have God's silent action and we don't always see how God is doing everything, God is there. It is purposed at all times, bringing about his love. He doesn't need to speak clearly in the text for him to move, just like he doesn't need to clearly speak all the time to you and I for him to move and provide for us. And he doesn't need to remove all the problems. Instead, sometimes he chooses to use them to bring about good in our lives. I want to look at chesed a little bit. I, in, this, in Ruth, it's actually translated as kindness a lot, but oftentimes it's translated in different times in Scripture as steadfast, God's loyal love. His unceasing kindness. The Bible demonstrates that God is love and shows us how, and he shows us how he shares that love with his people. So just a few examples of how it's used in Ruth. Naomi actually wishes when she tries to push away her daughter-in-laws, she wishes that God blesses them with kindness. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home, Moab. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So Naomi is speaking about God's love in the midst of complete barrenness. And then Naomi responds after hearing the amazing news. Wow, you met Boaz. Wow, he sent you with all this food. This is a lot of food. And this is what she says. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. God's covenant love moving the story forward. And it also speaks in other parts. And one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture is Exodus 34, where, God, where Moses describes God's own character. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, chesed, and faithfulness. That this is the kind of God. Or you can think of 1 Corinthians 3. Love is patient and kind and enduring. It does not envy. It does not boast. All that is an ideal of God's covenant hesed love that he brings and shows to us, and it transforms us. The book of Ruth stresses God's love, Yahweh's love, by focusing on what Ruth does through her kindness, through her loyalty, and it allows us to also see Boaz as this joyful, generous presence who also helps us understand God's love. It also helps us understand God's enduring love or how we might endure through love. And that's why it's not just the backdrop, as I'm going to keep thinking about while we wait, endure through love. Enduring through love for us also requires initiative. Enduring through love also requires for us initiative. Naomi really pushes the question. <laughs> she, she really gets everything going, saying, Ruth, you should go do this. And I, I imagine what Ruth thought when she heard that, Naomi, you want me to do what? But there's initiative there. And Ruth herself, she doesn't just do what she's told. She takes on initiative. She takes the risk. She, is, she proposes to another guy. You know, that's, that, you know, that's not unheard of today, but it's not the norm. It's certainly not the norm back then. And yet at the same time, Ruth takes initiative. But that initiative is not just, let's see how this goes. It's based on a kind of love that arises from trust in God's presence and purposes. This is actually what God's doing in the world. So I can trust him and actually live it out and do it in risky and bold ways because this is how God's love is expressed. 
There is hope for progress and rescue when we act in faith towards our situation and our circumstances. And God uses the faithfulness of ordinary people like me, like you. He uses our faithfulness to bring his love into the world. One of the things that I just, I just kept, God kept leading me to is just this challenge of what does it look like for you to pursue opportunities for love in your life, your family, amongst your friends and community, in your neighborhoods? How do you pursue love and share it, believing it like this, with this kind of risk in mind, that God is the one who kind of actually creates these kind of stories, not the ones that have fractured sides and unaddressed and unprayed through hoops. No, like God actually wants us to be about bringing love into the world around us. It's why I think it's so beautiful, the the passage in 1 John 4 that was read at the beginning, because it describes it. I'll read it uh, briefly just, just so it can resonate with what I'm saying here also. 1 John 4, it says, God is love. I turn to it really quickly. God is love. This is love. Oh yeah, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son. This is what we remember in Christmas. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I think of something like Ruth 3, and what I see is that this is why Christ came, to make love complete for all of us in these moments when we are despairing, when we don't have hope, that God does bring conclusion to our stories. And it's not necessarily the way we expect, it's not necessarily the way we would want, but love came down nonetheless. The love came down and he shows us the way. There's a passage in Matthew 23 where Jesus is following with his disciples and he comes to Jerusalem. And I think this is the way he responds to us sometimes. He looks at Jerusalem and sees what's happening and he weeps. He weeps. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and the stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together? As a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. How often I would have gathered you under my wings, but you were not willing. I would have protected you. I would have provided for you, and yet you fought me. How often have we fought God? And what Jesus says here is, you're left in barrenness and emptiness because you've pulled yourself away from me. Come back. Ruth here is asking Boaz to do what, the, what Jesus does for the church. Redeem their story just as God desires to redeem your story. You might wonder, how is this going to happen? How is someone going to step into my life and bring hope in the midst of my circumstances or help me find joy, help me to love? How does that happen? It is about receiving God's love for you. One of, the, uh, one of the pastor recently told me, you know, because we're talking about what do we hope people experience when we preach? which is something I think about for you. I think, what do I want you to experience? And this is certainly one of the things. And one of the things he said, which I just thought was so powerful, is just like, that people will leave knowing that God loves them. It's so simple. But that you would know that God loves you. And that when I talk about enduring through love, I say that in the sense that you are someone who is loved, that God does love you. He is with you. And that you endure through love by 
Just practicing the same love you've received, the same kindness you've received, not anything else. The goal is, is not about securing li- the good life for yourself, but to do everything you can to provide the way for others to receive healing, others to receive hope, to bless others regardless of whether they will return the favor, because that's what's happening in Ruth, enduring through love in the name of Jesus, especially when the unexpected happens, or especially if what happens on the threshing floor is scandalous. Because it was scandalous for a widowed woman to travel in the middle of the night. And it was scandalous for a man to receive her and protect her rather than turning her away. It was scandalous for Boaz to do what he could to keep it a secret so he would avoid Ruth from having repercussions for what happened. But it was also scandalous for an engaged woman to suddenly become pregnant. Mary to become pregnant before she was married. It was scandalous when Mary told her husband-to-be, Joseph, all about it. And it was scandalous for Joseph to stay with her, trusting in his word, rather than separate from her quietly. What all this directs us to, Christmas and Ruth, it directs us to the scandal of God becoming human. It was scandalous for God to come among us, to dwell among his people. It was scandalous for the promised king to be born in a covert cattle stall, humble manger, rather than to be on this glorious throne for everyone to see, because that's where he belongs. What seems scandalous to us sometimes might just be God's grace and love breaking through. It interrupts lives so healing can be done. It determines new circumstances and redirects our stories, and it wakes us up to the eternal reality that God's love will never let you go. Nothing will separate God's love from you. And on this night, when there seemed to be great risk, Christ was born for you. Christ died for you. He rose again for you. And this is the victory we celebrate. Even when it is a dark night on the threshing floor or in the cattle stall or in the sun setting on December 2021, (laughs) our God reigns and he reigns through love. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and help lead us in response But part of this that I I just felt focused on is this idea that we are in a new chapter of new possibilities, that this is the story that God is telling through you and through us. We're not void of the unexpected, of scandals, but this chapter shapes who we are. So how do we endure through love in this moment? How do you pursue God's plans and purposes for you? Because it takes initiative to step in, to do what seems hard and difficult. It also takes risk and vulnerability. It takes humility. It takes relying on God to be the one who brings conclusion to the story. But the last verse ends with Naomi telling Ruth, wait, for Boaz is going to not rest until the matter is settled. Well, God is not resting in your waiting. (laughs) Nor should rest involve for you a laid-back longing or lax. God is on the move in your life, and he's inviting you to trust God's love. And so, like I said, I just pray that you do know that God loves you, that he is with you, and that you welcome him in whatever way this looks like for you today into your heart and say, I might be tempted to react in anger and frustration and fear, but instead I receive your love. Because that is how I will make my decisions. That is how I will befriend the people I don't even know yet or how I will talk to family this season. Whatever it will take. It is through the love of Christ which I have received. And the last two lines that I said at the beginning of service are this from that song. 
Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Oh, Lord, our Emmanuel. So I invite you to receive God's heart today. And let's pray. Lord, I just pray in your mercy you would speak to us, that you would make known to us the depth, the height, the width of your love. And that, Lord, we would be moved by it, that this would shape how we step into the different chapters of our lives. And instead of doing it without hope or in sorrow, Lord, we would do it in trust and faith and endure through love. I pray your grace would be upon everyone here, that they would welcome you more and more into their hearts, Lord, that they would be further and shaped by your love, and that you would set them free from guilt. You would set them free from oppression, and that you would free them in the name of Jesus. I pray this, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.